fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast, presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T-Plus, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided, and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast. You can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. Joining me, as always, is good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is a host of our Packers Trilogy podcast, so make sure you are looking for that as that season is approaching us quickly. But we are here to talk Brewers baseball and specifically recap the Twins series. But before we get to that, how are you doing, buddy? Well... I feel like I am about as good as you sound. I don't know if you're getting sick or something over there, or if you're just really tired. But that's about tired, angry a little bit at this week in this series. It didn't help that the first game of this series, which would have been on Tuesday the 18th, the Bucks lose against the Magic. And then I stay up to watch this 12-inning nightmare including the first eight innings where it was extremely boring as a hoping for Brewers offense. And then you think they're going to do it after they get it tied up in the ninth and everything seems to be going well. It seems like everything's going to be back in the Brewers' favor. They're going to win the game and then they lose. And that was a little bit frustrating. Um, it was nice to take a, take a game from the Twins but I guess overall, I would have liked to see a little bit better series. I was really, really hyped going into this after that three games straight in Chicago wins. I thought that was going to kind of translate nicely right into here. We take two from them, and it gets gets us to six and four in this 10-game stretch of Twins, Cubs, Twins. I mean, I'll take five and five. We talked about it before. Five and five, if you split that, that's pretty good, and that's what the Brewers did. So, I mean, we got to give them credit where it's due, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thanks for telling me I sound like poop, by the way. Jesus, I get my mic back, and <laughs> all of a sudden now I sound worse? That's not how it's supposed no, to work. <laughs> no, your voice sounds better. You just sound tired or something. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You know, some people take that insulting. Jeez. <laughs> You'll get over it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm over it already. So, <laughs> uh, I I am angry now that you basically recapped game one. Like we were talking before the air. I'm impressed you stayed up to watch that because I fell asleep after Hater got done pitching in the tenth. So yeah, like when you make a comeback like that in the ninth inning, scoring for three runs after literally no action up until that, you you feel like you need to win that game. Otherwise, it's a big letdown. And that's really how I feel about it. It was just so frustrating, especially once you got into extras and just kind of the way they lost. Like, 
they were getting runners on, obviously start with a runner on base at second, but getting runners on in extras, I think Yelich walked to start one inning and then couldn't get any runs in. And then in that 12th inning where they ended up losing, Jerko was the runner at second, which is just fucking terrible. And Ryan Braun hits a single and well, Jerko can't score up that because he slows molasses. And then Arcia hits that liner into right. And then, you know, I kind of understand, like, it's a tough situation to be in. Do you tag? Do you run? And, you know, I think he did the right decision. But it's just you're so close to winning. And then, of course, Urias strikes out to end the 12th. And then the Twins go on to win after that. It, you're right. As we kind of we were talking before the game, as we were reliving that, it, it just makes it even more frustrating. <laughs> Otherwise, as long as we're hitting up the other games, we'll recap the second and third games here real quickly. In Game 2, that was kind of the opposite of Game 1. The Brewers' bats finally came to life for what felt like the first time all season. Brett Anderson actually had a good start for the first time all season, really. He gave up his only run in the second inning of that game. The Brewers would bat around in the lineup in the third and fifth innings, scoring four runs in each of those. Hira hit a solo home run off a position player. You know, that's an unspoken rule. Don't do it. Just kidding. Who cares? <laughs> home run's a home run. Otherwise, game two was that weird game where Kesson Hira, like, forgot how to run the base paths. He didn't run out a pop fly in the first inning, and Christian Yelch was on first, and the Twins just let it fall, and it was the easiest double play you'll see all year. And then he also got thrown up by a mile trying to steal second base later on in that game. I really have no idea what happened there. And then Game 3, a 7-1 to loss. You think you can take the rubber match with Brandon Woodruff on the mound, but for the second start in a row, he really didn't have his best stuff. He scattered nine hits throughout the five innings that he pitched and then just left a mess for Freddie Peralta, who only gave up one run in the fifth inning there, which really saved Brandon Woodruff's stats for the day, especially in the earned run category. Uh, but then offensively, Brewers were no hit until the fifth, and then no hit spoiler, Eric Sogard broke that up at that point. Eric, uh, then we got a solo home run from Justin Smoke as the only run of the game, and then Perdermo really kind of fell victim of the game being blown wide open in the eighth as the Twins picked up three runs off him there. So besides game one, what would you think of the other two games, Trevor? This most recent game was another frustrating one. It just it just felt like kind of the beginning of the season where the Brewer Bats just couldn't get going, and nothing more represents that than um, I can't remember his name, the starting pitcher for the Twins for this game. He went through the first time through the order, and he had eight strikeouts, and. That was the big thing for me. I mean, looking through the stats for this series is literally everyone struck out like at least once of like the main guys that were getting at bats. Arcia, Urias, Pina, Jerko, Gamble, Smoke, Keston, Garcia, Braun, Yelich, they all struck out at least one time. And that that's getting frustrating for me. Um, and that was kind of the biggest thing. I know... There was some runs given up in this game, and Brandon Woodruff not having his stuff, his best stuff, is a little bit frustrating. But it's the MLB. These starting pitchers, no matter how good they are, if if they're an ace or not, they're gonna have days that they don't have their best stuff. And MLB hitters are too good to be 
phenomenal every single start. So that one, you know, you can deal with that and that's okay. I do imagine Woody's going to get back to his ace self sooner rather than later. And then that game two, that was great to see. That one, once the Brewers kind of blew it open a little bit, I will be honest, I didn't watch a ton of that game because it was kind of getting blown open and I had other things around the house to do. So I did not watch a ton of that game. But then, of course, I realized Drew Rasmussen was making his debut. And, of course, I didn't freaking record the game. So I'm like, shit, I'm not going to be able to watch it. But... Luckily, after I got home from work, I was able to watch the replay on Fox Sports Wisconsin, and they, like, skipped the first two outs of the first inning he was in, the seventh, and then I believe I was able to watch the whole eighth. So I did get a little bit of feel for him, which was nice to see him out on the mound, and Perdomo for that matter, but we got to see Perdomo figure out that whole control issue. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was exciting to see both of these guys, Emily B debuts and you're right with Perdermo five walks in the two innings he pitched this series and it was the first game on uh, whenever we lost in 12th innings they brought him in the Brewers were down I think two nothing at that point it was like the seventh or eighth inning I forget when he came in and then he was facing four five and six and Rock on TV was like oh you know that's good Craig Council's putting him in in a good position to succeed and I'm like what like what of this is a good position to succeed? It's a close game within graphs. You're facing the heart of this order here, and he ends up giving a run that inning. If they would have put one of their other high leverage guys in, and then they would have got their three runs in the ninth inning, we would never have had this whole extra inning scenario. So I kind of really disagreed with seeing him at that particular moment. But, you know, it, it is what it is at this point, and then you really got to see really what he was made of in this last game in the finale, which was just a guy who has good stuff at times, just can't locate it very well. And the walks are evidence to that. And when he gives up hits, it's it's right down the middle. Otherwise he's got good velocity. He's got good movement on his off speed. He stands at like six foot six, six foot seven, so he's intimidating presence out there. It's just gotta learn how to command the ball a little bit more and out of the two guys making their debuts, I thought Rasmussen did a really good job of that, striking out three in the two innings that he covered in his debut. I was impressed with what he brought forth. Yeah, definitely. Rasmussen was really fun to watch. Like I said, I, I wasn't able to watch the live version of that, but I, I did get to go back and see some of his pitching and that kind of stuff, which was very, very nice to see that and watch that young guy that we were excited about. I can't remember what guest we really talked about him having the highest graded fastball in the organization and those types of things. But I was excited since that podcast about Drew Rasmussen, and I couldn't wait to see him up in in the major leagues, and I was hoping it was going to be this year, and we got to see him, and he definitely lived up to my expectations. Like I said, it was great to see him up there. And... I think I think you're right in terms of Perdomo. You got me super pumped for him. Actually, back in like spring training, he was pitching extremely well during spring training, right, Tyler? I'm pretty sure that's when you got me hyped for him. Yeah, he was crazy good in spring training. <laughs> so 
yeah, I was getting super excited. So when I saw he and Rasmussen were coming up, I'm like, okay, let's go. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Really exciting for Brewers fans. And it, it, it really is just a control thing because, like you said, Tyler, I think the stuff is there. And I think if he figures out that control, it's going to be – I think he's going to be a fine pitcher in the MLB. It's just he's got to get the control down because obviously his stuff isn't good enough to – stop it when he like loads up the bases without letting the guys touch the ball because he's just not hitting the strike zone at all i think today it was he had a walk a hit batter and a walk to load the bases and then they hit a two rbi double down the right field line and it you know once you get to that situation and you put yourself in that situation it's going to be pretty tough and to your point I do think it would have made more sense to not bring Perdomo, Perdomo in for that game against Mieda in which he was incredible. He deserves all the credit in the world because that guy was absolutely spot on. And I am really glad that the Twins manager actually gave him a chance for the no-hitter. I know Sogard broke it up immediately in the ninth, but he definitely deserved the chance to go out there. I really don't care what his pitch count is. I know you don't want to hurt guys and everything, but they also deserve when they go through eights to try to go get the no-hitter, like give them a chance. And I thought that was cool that they actually let him do that because you hear about combined no-hitters a lot nowadays and not so much a single pitcher doing it. So that was really nice to see. Back to Perdomo, though, um, I do think they definitely could have used their high-leverage guys. They had Williams, Hayter, and Phelps all ready to go. So let's say you put in Williams, who struck out three. He did have a walk, but he did not allow a run. And like you said, then if that happens, then the next inning you're probably going to see David Phelps, and then you're going to see Josh Hader in the ninth. And at that point, it's 3-2 to two at the end of the ninth because – the Brewers put up three in the ninth, so I i mean, it was a little bit of a questioning decision, but I also kind of get where Rock is coming from, because at that point, you just didn't think the Brewers were going to have any offense that night, because that's how good Mieta was pitching. Like, outside of that one, and it was like a bloop hit, and I think if that guy just turned the right way initially, he probably catches that. It was just kind of a weird hit, and if that wasn't a hit... I do think Mieta probably gets the no-hitter, and then that extra run doesn't really matter. But it's definitely an interesting kind of inflection point for this series, and it it changed a lot in this series, I think, uh, because that goes from the Twins winning the series to the Brewers possibly winning the series if they went with their normal high-leverage guys in that situation. Yeah, because it was the eighth inning I'm looking up now that Perdomo came in. And then, of course, after the Brewers got three in the ninth, then Devin Williams came in after that. So yes. you're right. Williams would have been a great, great chance for him to come in right there. And as long as we're on the topic of Devin Williams, we have to talk about his performance. Like, he threw so many damn change-ups. I know you were messaging me during the game you're like, oh, just I never get sick of watching that. But of his 13 pitches he threw, only three, or he threw 16 pitches, excuse me, three are fastballs, 13 were change-ups. One of the change-ups was followed off, the other three swings came against it, they were whiffs, and then the other five were called strikes. <laughs> so, like, 
it's just insane what he's doing this year and really just coming out of nowhere. I mean, the guy's a beast, I think. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like when you watch that pitch, first off, it is a pretty big change of pace. I think it's his changeups normally around 83, 84, I think. And he throws what 95 to 98 ish range, like high nineties. I'm pretty sure he throws. So the change of pace one is crazy. And then the movement he gets on that pitch is absolutely nuts. So it cuts hard in on a right-handed hitter and it cuts and it drops a lot. Like there is so much movement. I didn't know it was possible to get that kind of movement on a changeup, but he has legit the best changeup we've seen in a Brewers uniform since Trevor Hoffman. Maybe Jeremy Jeffress when he was right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, but you know, you they said on the broadcast, I think, comparing it to Trevor Hoffman. And that's some pretty elite company. And the fact that he only has to throw three fastballs in an inning and that changeup is still that effective, like what if he goes more 50-50? And because his changeup moves so much, you can probably start his fastball and his changeup in a similar spot, and the hitters are not going to be able to catch up to that fastball if he's starting in, in similar spots that they have no idea what is coming. They're going to either look, they're either going to sit dead red and look for the fastball and maybe make contact with it, or they're going to be looking for a fastball. It's going to be a changeup and they're going to look ridiculous, or the other way around, but they're never going to be able to catch up to the fastball if they're looking changeup. So I feel like he should add a little bit more fastballs, but I mean, you really can't complain because that changeup is like dumbfounding to me how good it is. And I, it, he's he's going to be a weapon going into the rest of this season, into the postseason, into next year. As long as he's in a brewery uniform and that changeup is doing what it's doing right now, we're going to have a setup man for the foreseeable future. For sure. I'm not going to argue with his results. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Unfortunately, we do have to talk about a guy who is continuing to struggle and now got shifted to the injury list, and that is Corey Knabel. So he pitched in the blowout game, got the ninth inning, Brewers winning by a mile, and couldn't even finish the ninth, couldn't complete it. Only got two outs, gave up three hits, walked a batter, two earned runs, and then one just booming home run that he left down the middle of the plate. So, of course, I thought the hamstring injury is probably one of those, you know, fake injuries, a guy struggling to put him on the injured list, pretend something happened. But according to Adam McKelvey on Twitter, he says that Knable's been compensating and his hamstrings have been suffering, whatever. I don't know what's exactly going on. But the interesting part that I find with this is if and when Corey Knable's ready to come back, say he doesn't like end up on season-ending injured list or whatever, and they, they want to bring him back, they're going to have to because they can't option him down. He is out of minor league options. So... You know, kind of really at this point, I almost feel like just put him on the injured list for the rest of the year and see him next year. But what are your thoughts on that? Bringing him back scares the shit out of me because I think Council wants him to be in the role he had been. And right now, just like you said, you're not going to argue with the, the results with Devin Williams. Why argue the results that is that 
seven, eight, nine in Phelps, Williams, and Hayter. Why argue with that? I think I saw a graphic that Williams, I can't remember the, one of them's 0.9, one of them's 0.93 for Williams and Phelps, and Hayter hasn't given up a hit yet this year. I'm sure you have all heard that multiple times now. And so his ERA is at zero. So I don't understand why Council is trying to get Knable back into that group because that group is as good as it can be right now. It can't be any better than what they are. So why are you trying to put Knable back into these high-leverage, high-stress situations? And I know that that is not what it was in this series, but I believe in the Cubs series they put him in an interesting spot like that, and it's like I, I just don't get it. Let him pitch when a starter has a blowout game. Let him come in and get it figured out. But outside of that, I don't think he has a role on this team. So if this injury is serious enough to be able to put him on the IL, maybe that's not a bad thing. And maybe he can spend the year, figure it out, and I, I, I just don't know, and come back strong next year because we saw this for a little bit. And the fact that we can't bring him down and let him try to work it out, because when he did work it out in the minor leagues, was that last year? He, he came back firing, and he was back to good old Corey Knable. So right now, I am not too high on Knable's chances in 2020. I think in 2021, maybe maybe he's more recovered and can come back and, and get back to old Corey Knable. But for 2020, I just I am not seeing it anymore right now. Yeah, what you're referencing to with Knable was 2018. Because in 17, he had an all-star year. It was incredible. 18, he struggled a little bit. And then, weirdly enough, had a hamstring injury that year as well, too. And never really found his groove until September. And then was lights out for that in the postseason. Of course, he obviously missed last year. But I'm not quite sure if it's the same hamstring or, or those are related. But I, I'm not giving up on him, like, as you know, in the future, I just, I'm giving up on him this year is kind of my stance on Corey Knable right now. Yeah. And if it's a normal year, I don't think we're saying this right now. Well, if it's a normal year and we're only 25 games in or whatever we're in right now, if that's the case, if it's, you know, mid to late August and in a normal year, so you're already, you know, 130 games in or whatever it happens to be, then I would be like, okay, it's just, you can't figure it out. It's the end of August. You're not figuring it out. Let's save it till next year, get you fully healthy, and hope for the best at that point because we just can't, we can't afford to just let the guy try to figure it out because in this season, you can't do that. It You can't do that in a 60-game season, um, even though the Brewers are second in the NL right now, NL Central. You still you have to win as many games as you can, and unfortunately, as much as I would love him to be able to help us do that, Corey Knable is not allowing us to win games right now. I agree 100% with you on that one for now. Let's shift over to the offense. We, I feel like we always like to talk about the batting order, so we have to bring it back to our attention that Yelich was put back in the two spot for this entire series. Of course, that's where he spent most of his time when he won MVP a couple years ago and then most of last season and then got shifted to the three spot eventually. But what do you think of him coming back in that spot? Is it a big deal? Are we just kind of make something up over nothing here? Or or where do you like him? Well, 
I think you know where I like him. And I think any longtime listeners of this podcast know my feelings on this. I think you put your best hitter in the three hole. That's what I believe is the correct move. Now I get baseball is moving to the two hole. To me, I just don't understand that. I, I do. I just don't because why not put your better hitter in the three hole that still gets him very, very similar of at number of at bats throughout the year. Um, now there's going to be times where the ninth inning ends and Christian Yelich is on deck, but that to me is not that big of a deal. Um, I just like having a leadoff hitter, a guy that can get on base. Then you have Keston, who, when he's on, he can hit like no other. And I just want two guys in front of Yelich because that is going to give him more opportunities to get back into it, you know, get his RBIs, you know, get him back into the swing of things and being the Christian Yelich that we know and love. Now, and I also think that this is important for Keston Hira because having Christian Yelich behind you, even knowing that Christian Yelich is not hitting like he has in previous seasons with the Brewers, still having Christian Yelich behind him is definitely going to help Keston, and I think that's more important to Keston. And I get that Yelich might not get quite as many pitches to hit with that four-hitter kind of rotating and not always being very consistent in that four spot. Um, but honestly, I would love to see whoever Council wants in the leadoff hole because we don't have a true leadoff hitter, and maybe that's strictly a matchup-based, you know, whatever. And then I like Keston Yelich because I think it helps Keston, and I think it gives Yelich more opportunities to give us production. And I think... Even though he's not MVP Yelich right now, I think he's the best player on our team, and he needs the opportunities, and he deserves the opportunities in that three-hole. Yeah, I completely get what you're saying, how it would potentially boost Yelich's production standpoint. That makes sense to me. The only reason I can think like, to kind of counter against that was just the fact that Hira, he's not like he's a free swinger. He just doesn't draw a lot of walks. He obviously has a lot of swing and miss in his game. It seems like this year more so than what we saw last year. But when you move Yelich up into that two spot, he's obviously going to get most likely on base a lot more than what Keston Hira has. And we've kind of seen Hira, he's, he's that streaky hitter so far this year. When he's on, he's on. When he's off, it, it's awful. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, balancing things out like... Now you're when Keston's on, yeah, he's going to produce like crazy, especially when Yelich is getting on base. I mean, he drew quite a few walks this twin series. So, yeah, I, I guess it kind of I'm using the same argument as you are. It's just helping more so than Yelich's. And then kind of how you already mentioned it, having Yelich up one extra spot will get you, you know, him and potentially an extra at bat every game, especially later in the game. So I don't know. I'm sure it'll probably switch multiple times throughout the rest of the year. So I guess that'll just be something to monitor. And, you know, guys are still trying to figure out their offensive roles at this point, unfortunately. So hopefully we get it figured out soon. Yeah. And we've already seen it this year so far, but Craig Council is going to tinker with this lineup with this, starting pitching rotation with the bullpen rotation, he's going to tinker all 60 games. That is what Craig Council does. He's very, very good at it for times that I don't agree with what he's doing. More often than not, he is pressing the right buttons. 
So I'm going to let him continue to do what he does because I fully trust and believe in his managing. And although it's not a style that I would do or that I particularly like, I know it's been very effective for the Brewers, and I'm going to let him continue to do it. For sure. All right. Let's switch over into our series MVP. And series dud. You like MVPs first, don't you? Is that where you want to start today? Yeah, that is. Um, So I'm going to do it a little different, though. I do want to mention one honorable mention, but defensive honorable mention, and that's Arcia. I think Orlando Arcia played extremely, extremely well in the field. Tyler, you wrote down some plays here you know he did cut down rosario at home um the relay was from brock holt in left um and just an absolute bullet and if he was a 16th of a second longer on his release or anything he would have been safe that was a very close play at home a great throw to get it there he got a double play from to get woody out of a jam in the fifth and also he had some really nice throws deep in the hole this series. One in particular, I think, was on Buxton and, like, was deep, deep in the hole and just stopped on a dime and threw it as hard as he could across the diamond right on target. And, like I said, I'm pretty sure that play was on Buxton, and that guy is insanely, insanely fast. So just impressive stuff from Arcia on the defensive side of the ball, offensively, yeah, not so much. One of eight, a walk and a strikeout. But I do think that defense deserves some mention there. In terms of MVP, I, this one's kind of tough for me. Like, there's some decent performances, but there isn't anything that really, like, really, really, really jumps out at me. But I'm going to go with a guy that has continued to be the same guy all year long and we kind of raved about him a little bit earlier and that's Devin Williams he continues to be a great guy out of the bullpen and it continues to be you know what you're going to get when he gets out there and that's won a lot of strikeouts and not a lot of hits and it wasn't anything more than that in this series but I do think he deserves some credit and recognition on this list as he has not been on this list for either one of us yet So I am going to go with Devin Williams. Like we talked about, his changeup is nasty. In this series, he had an inning pitched, three strikeouts. He did walk a batter, but pretty spectacular stuff from Devin Williams. So I am going to go with Williams as my series MVP. Well, you hit on my two honorable mentions already, so great minds think alike. I'm actually going to go way out out in left field here. Actually, I guess not literally left field. I'm going to go way out onto the pitching mound for my MVP here, and that's Corbin Burns. So hey, just, let's go. Just, just hear me out. You'd be like, what? So Corbin Burns opened up this series, had to pitch against Kenta Maeda, who was obviously, as we know, took a no-hitter into the ninth, and Corbin and, Burns then back down. Yeah, and like any performance – outside of Mieta's performance, is going to look bad against him because he was that spectacular. Oh, absolutely. 
And, you know, the, the weird part is, like, Burns cruised through the first four innings. It was awesome. He really hit that roadblock in the fifth inning, and I believe he had the bases loaded and was able to get out of it with just one earned run. So if it wasn't for him struggling through that fifth inning, he probably could have worked into the sixth. So I think that's just a growth thing that we'll see Corbin Burns get over eventually. But we talked about it as we were previewing this series. You know, we want a good start out of Corbin Burns. This is his first time in the rotation since, what, game two of the year. And if he flops, then that just really sets you behind throughout the rest of the series. And I thought he did an excellent job Setting the tone for starting pitchers this series, I mean, granted, everyone, we still didn't score first this this series, which apparently isn't going to happen all year, but he limited damage. It wasn't giving up the big inning at all, so MVP for me, Corbin Burns. (laughs) I do think that's low-key a pretty good pick, because last year's Corbin Burns would have gave up three, four, five runs in that situation. This year's Corbin Burns allows one, gets out of the jam, and that, like, if you look, compare that to Woody, these past two starts, really, hasn't had his best stuff, hasn't been able to pitch long into games and be dominant long into games. But, I mean, you look at both of these guys, Woody pitched five, gave up nine hits, gave up two runs, walked three strikeouts. Burns, five innings pitch, he only gave up two hits. He did have the three walks, which is a little bit concerning. But he had five strikeouts, and he only gave up one earned run. And like I said, last year, that is a completely different situation. And we don't even, we're not even talking about the Perdomo situation because it's probably a blowout at that point because Corbin Burns last year could not figure that out. And it's awesome to see him work through tough stretches, limiting as much damage as he could. And like you said, he probably could have pitched more if that fifth inning didn't get to him a little bit. But... It is definitely encouraging, and I, it's kind of a weird MVP to pick, but I definitely get why you're going with him. Awesome. All right, who do you have for the dud category? Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> this one, I don't know. It just, like, this series felt weird to me because I feel like watch from my eye test, and I didn't watch every single at-bat of the series, but to me, I thought Justin Smoke was playing better than Keston here at the plate, but... That's not really the case. Um, Smoke did have a home run, but Hero is 5 of 12 with three strikeouts. Smoke was 2 of 9 with three strikeouts. I just, it, it felt like Keston struck out more than that to me. I don't know if it was a combination of last series or what it was, but it just felt like he struck out more for me, more than me, more than three strikeouts. Wow, that was terrible. So I was going to go Keston, but then I kind of looked at his stat line and it wasn't as bad as what my mind was telling me. So I'm going to go with Manny Pena. Um, And it's really unfortunate because we thought he was going to continue this offensive tear, but also Manny Pena is 33, I think. So we, we know who he is as a player. We know he is spectacular defensively. He's got that great pop time. He is a great great job at throwing out runners whether that be they're stealing or throwing behind the runners to pick them off but he's a unspectacular bat you know he's he's a guy that can give you timely hits can do things like that for you but he's not going to hit 380 for the year with 30 home runs in a normal season he's just not going to do that that's not the type of player he is um but 
I think I'm going to go with Manny Pena as he was 0 for 9 with three strikeouts. 380, 30 home runs. Dude, I can't even do that on MLB The Show. <laughs> that's, that's some pretty high standards there you got. <laughs> well, uh, well, I fully expect Nervias next year to hit that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I would take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, my series, Dud, we talked about him a little bit earlier. That's Corey Knable. Obvious reasons. You get put in during a blowout, and you can't even finish the ninth inning. It was perfect opportunity for you to get back on track and he blew it literally and now he's on the injured list with an injury supposedly so that's that's my series dud my honorable mention i thought about doing manny pina just because you know as you said we talked about him on the last podcast and then he goes hitless this series and then honorable mention again for the same reason you have to go luis Urias. he was 0 for 8 this series did draw one walk only struck out once but we know he's a good contact hitter but of course, right after we talk those guys up, they both go hitless, combined yeah. 0 17. <laughs> yeah, and you throw in Arcia as well, because I had Urias and Arcia both as my co-MVPs, and he was one of eight, a walk and a strikeout. So not much better there. So definitely need to stop talking players up. Do we get rid of the MVP thing? <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I, if okay, if Devin Williams and Corbin Burns don't play well, I am we're done with MVP. We're just doing duds. You know that's fair. I can get on board with that. <laughs> but you know what? Next series, there real realistically should be no duds because we have the Pirates coming up next, and the Pirates are god awful. So they have what four wins last time I looked? Maybe five if they won tonight on the year. At the bottom of the NL Central, the other NL Central teams are 3-8 and eight for some. One of those was against the Brewers, so there's your fun knowledge heading into your Friday morning. But for this series, we'll see Hauser versus Chad Cool, Lindblom versus Derek Holland, and then I'm assuming Corbin Burns versus JT Brubaker. So what are you looking for in this series? Yeah, the Pirates lost tonight 2 nothing, so they're, they are 4-17. and 17. I am looking for... To bring out the brooms, that's what I'm looking for. So this is this is a three-game series. So Sundays, on Sunday, if I do not have a broom with me while we're recording this, because the Brewers don't have one of those yet, I, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to warn you right now. I am not going to be happy if I don't if I don't get to get the brooms out on Sunday. A picture, or it didn't happen on Sunday. Just so you know. <laughs> what? I said you got to take a picture of yourself recording with a broom. Otherwise, it didn't happen. All right. Well, <laughs> I will reply on Twitter with a picture of me after you post the podcast on Twitter. How's that sound? That works. That works for me. I, For what I'm actually watching during the series, I'm really interested, one, to see how our offense does. I know typically I go with starters here that I'm eyeing. But I think for me, is, is this... Can this offense kind of bounce back from a not-so-great performance in Game 3? And can we get back to our offensive output in that Cubs series where we had like four, five, six runs every game? Can we get back to that kind of offense out, offensive output? Because I think our pitching staff, whether it be starting rotation and or the bull, bullpen, I think they're good enough if you're giving them four to five, four to six runs a game, 
we're going to win a hell of a lot of games if our offense can get somewhere in that three, four, five runs per game range, um, or at least for a little bit get up there and and put string some series wins together, sweep a couple times. You don't have to do it all year, but let's let's get that offense going a little bit and allow this pitching staff from to pitch without pressure, to pitch with a lead for once. That that is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this offense to really step up and there is not a better team to do it against in the Pirates. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the you know, the Pirates expectations heading into this year weren't great to begin with, but they've just been hammered with injuries this year, in particular in their pitching. Joe Musgrove, he's out. Right triceps inflammation. Mitch Keller, another starter, oblique strain. And then you go to the bullpen. Kyle Crick, he'll be out. Nick Birdie out. Mick Michael Feliz out, Clay Holmes out, and then even on the offensive side, I don't know if you watched this video, but their utility man, Philip Evans, was lost for the season. He collided with uh, outfielder Gregory Planco and ended up breaking his jaw, had to be taken off on a stretcher, so that was kind of scary, but they they just can't catch a break, and you know... When you take look at it from the Brewers' perspective, like yeah, you you think going into this you have to take a sweep, which you know in baseball terms you never really have to win a sweep. But if you look forward even more, the Brewers go three against the Pirates, four against the Reds, and then another four against the Pirates. So seven of our next eleven are against the Pirates, and it kind of at that point you think you know what nl central team can beat up on the pirates the most will that give them an edge and start to pull away with the with division or maybe someone pulls away in the two spot and i think yeah there's definitely that that possibility so i do think these games have some meaning to them and you know these upcoming seven games against the pirates you have to hope you take five of them right you don't want to go four and three five and two would be perfect i think i definitely agree i think it is that's like making a football game a absolute for sure win. There's obviously games you should win. There in baseball there are series you should win. But saying that you should sweep the series is kind of tough. Like you can't expect that. There's so much that goes into a baseball game and to win 3 in a row is not easy. These are professional athletes you're playing against. Um so I like I'm hoping for the sweep that I really want it to happen. I think this is a team that it definitely could happen against. But if the Brewers go out and you know you said they have a four game series with the Pirates coming up as well. Correct. So yeah, if they go out, win two in this one, win three in the next one, you you can't be mad at that. If they go out and win all seven, one that shouldn't be that surprising to you, this Brewers team is better. But also you can't expect that because the Pirates are professionals on the other side. You know, there are there are some good players on that team. It's just when your team faces teams like this, you want to take advantage, especially after the stretch the Brewers were just in. Um, I still don't understand how it's fair that the Brewers played the Twins six times and play like the Tigers three times. I do not understand that whatsoever. It should have been four games against every team. Um, and just do a home at home. Like I, I just don't understand what the MLB was doing with the schedule, but whatever. But that means you have to take advantage when you play the Twins six times. You have to take advantage of playing the Pirates, and you're going to play them ten times. 
you have to, have to, have to take advantage as much as you can. I, I am looking at the very least two series wins, so that means at the very least five wins and hoping for more. And I do think it's going to be very important. You look at the NL Central right now, Cubs are in first, and I'm just going to talk win percentage because the games are weird at this point. Um, they have a 667 win percentage. Brewers have 478 win percentage. Cardinals 462, Reds 455. So you have to win your NL Central games. And the Brewers kind of did their part against the Cubs. They've, I think, split to this point against the Cubs. So you're doing your job there. You win the next series against the Cubs, you're in good shape there. You gotta, you gotta take the rest of the series in the NL Central, I think, to really solidify yourself as that number two spot in in the NL Central. Yep, I I agree 100% with you because that's what gets you into the postseason this year. So we'll take it any way we can get to keep that that streak going and hopefully get to the postseason for a third season in a row. But I think that will do it for us here today. We'll be back with you after the weekend series against the Pirates. So look for our next podcast coming out on Monday. Make sure you're checking out our other podcasts. As I mentioned, the Packers Trilogy podcast and the Bucks Trilogy podcast as well. We got playoff basketball we're talking about on that one. But until next time, we will see you later, Brewer fans. Trust in Burns. <laughs>